Thanks for tuning in again to the Coruscant Nights podcast. We've got an exciting episode for you guys today. And also exciting news that we've got Jack back with us this week. Hello, guys. I'm glad to be back. I'm very excited. So today we're going to do Season 3, Episode 2, Reaction and Breakdown of The Mandalorian. I think we can all agree that this was probably a much better episode in comparison to the first one. And we'll go through each scene and give our thoughts about what we what we liked, what we disliked, and kind of have a general discussion about it. But before we get into it, just a reminder, we do have socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at Coruscant Nights. And also, we have a Patreon, so if you want to go get more content from us, we just uploaded a exclusive podcast to the channel. Or if you just want to go support us, please feel free to, at Coruscant Nights, or the link is in our Instagram bio. And thanks to Ben and Nikita for their continued support. <laughs> Alright, so, this was chapter 18 of The Mandalorian's Journey. It was titled The Minds of Mandalore, still going with the traditional the to begin the episode titles. It was directed by Rachel Morrison, a first-time director in the Mandalorian universe, and it had a runtime of 44 minutes, a little bit longer than last week, still probably shorter than what a lot of people would like. So, first of all, before we get into any specifics, Jack, what did you think overall? Look, this week's episode was clearly in 10 times better than the last week's, in my Mm. opinion. I just think this week's episode had far more of a plot um, development for all characters in terms of him going to the mines and, you know, seeking out his baptismal rebirth in, in a sense. And yeah, I just overall loved the pacing. I loved the action and I loved all the character interactions and development for all our favorite characters, such as Grogu and Din and even Bo-Katan. Mm. Yeah, I agree as well. There was a lot more to this episode than the first one. And that probably comes from the fact that there was a lot more time that the writers had to include certain you know plot points character development etc as i said i think we're all in agreement about how we felt about this episode uh i do have some points that i will make along the way because i did have a little bit of an issue with one particular plot point but we'll get into that a bit later all right so so in this week's episode we start off at tatooine everyone's favorite desert planet (laughs) which we've seen numerous times so, it's in Bunta Eve season, which means there's people racing around the streets and everyone's having a good time celebrating. And we first come across uh, Pally Moto, our recurring character who is uh, the Mandalorian's mechanic. And we actually see Pally uh, screwing, or uh, kind of doing a dodgy, to a Rodian. Yeah. Which is very interesting. It's good to see the Rodians back in Star Wars. Yeah, it's good that, um, you know, we're seeing not just the human sort of species in Star Wars, but we're seeing all sorts of different aliens and stuff in this Sure. Yeah, I think um, with two episodes in, we already have so many more creatures than we have in the past, like Boba Fett's uh, se- uh, series and even Andor series. Oh, yeah. Well, the Andor series was um, very much focused on the human characters and mm. the polit- political side. Not to say that like these creatures and species can't be part of the political environment, but mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Um, So we eventually see that the Mandalorian's new N1 ship come down into Tatooine where Pelimoto is. And he's getting a tune-up and also trying to find the memory unit for the IG uh, droid in the first episode, so... You know what was really funny about this scene was Grogu's jump. It was so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I I do like how they kind of specified that it was his first word, but I don't think Badu counts as (laughs) actual Um, words. It might be be a 
a word in another language. I didn't really hear anything, to be honest. I thought it was just making more baby noises. <laughs> uh, I've been watching with subtitles, so I, I saw that it was an actual, like, word technically spoken here. But, um, yeah, what is with this... What was with this IG unit storyline? Oh, that was just... S- down- so disappointing. That was... They just threw it in the rubbish, essentially. Like, it went nowhere. And it makes episode... What happened in episode one seem just so irrelevant Yeah, now. about half of that episode was just... You could have, re- you know, rewritten it into something It else. was set up for a storyline that just was scrapped... That nothing came out of. Five minutes into episode two. It's stupid. After, after, after thinking about this, I do realise how kind of silly it was to have that plot line and then to be so overlooked instantly in the opening five minutes of this episode... But anyway, after she get he gets his tune up on the on the ship, he eventually uh, gets welcomed with a new droid R four D five. I'm pretty sure it mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. and he's been shown in many of uh, the other Star Wars franchise uh, franchise movies and shows such as uh, A New Hope. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, which is an interesting idea in terms of Mandalorian not trusting droids, but now he's so nice. willingly to be able to accept a new one. I have a big issue with that. Yeah. I think they made such a big deal in the first episode about Mando really needing IG because it's a droid he trusts, but then ultimately being sold on R4. It's like, oh, that's, that mindset just was completely thrown out the window as well. It's just strange. Strange to see. So after that kind of weird, clunky uh, plot line that was overlooked in two seconds, we see Mando leave with Grogu in the hatch and the astromech at the back of where of the ship where Grogu used to sit. Mm-hmm. And there's fireworks. Everyone's celebrating Bunta Eve. Everyone looks like they're having a good time. And it's a very stunning visually. Yeah, it looked really nice. And just remember, this is a time period where the First Order still isn't around. The Empire is not really there. And... People are, under the New Republic, people are doing what they want. It's more of a free galaxy, yeah. I think, at this point of time. But but also, Tatooine is in the Outer Rim, so I don't even think there would be particularly under the jurisdiction of the mm. New Republic. So, to proceed on to the next scene, I do actually have a little point to add. We see when they're about to arrive on Mandalore, the Mandalorian din gives a bit more of a context as to what the planet means to so many Mandalorians to Grogu. And he also mentions, um, he mentions Concordia, which is where Din grew up, and also in the Clone Wars, where Pre Vizsla and the Death Watch people were actually causing a lot of terror there. Yeah. But also, if I don't know if you guys noticed this, but he was also giving kind of foreshadowing as to what's going to happen later on in the episode, whilst pointing on the navigator where Bo-Katan's planet was too. Well, I thought it was interesting that they were all in the same system. Well, it is a Mandalorian system, so I guess it makes sense for her to stay close to where she grew up. and you're right about how he points that out. It is foreshadowing. And And also, not just that is is foreshadowed, but also how Pally said prior that the droid can also autopilot, which also helps out later in the episode too. So I guess it kind of does, after rewatching it, it kind of does give a bit of foreshadowing as to where the story's probably going to end up progressing towards next bit. But to continue... They eventually go through the thunderstorm and lightning through Mandalore's uh, system, and then they eventually land on on the planet of surface level, where it's been said that it's been toxic and poisoned from the Empire's reign. And he sends out the uh, the R five unit uh, and goes into the caves and to try and get one of those uh, oxygen samples, mm. where we find him disappear from yeah. the radar. Scary. I wasn't particularly impressed with this well you kind of knew it was gonna I happen mean, yeah but it's it's again with the whole droid thing like you know 
he gets a droid that doesn't that he can't even help him, so he has to go in for him, help it out himself. And you know what I find? I mean, I know you need a droid to test oxygen levels, and I'm sure there's devices. But because the Mandalorian can pressurize his helmet, why couldn't he just take a small device out of his pocket yeah. and just <laughs> test the levels there? I was thinking, I that was so strange. The pressurized helmet kind of threw me off because there's so many things that I think are wrong with that. But we're not going into it because it's a TV show and you just accept <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. I also thought it kind of sent. I know it wasn't exactly the same, but it kind of reminded me of Darth Vader's breathing on how it was more emphasized on every single breath he took when he compressed his helmet. But anyway, he eventually goes in on his own and goes to find the unit and what happened to him, where he gets jumped by um, these weird four-eye yeah, creature really things. Really weird-looking things. They're called Alamites. And, and later on, we get a bit more context from bo as to what they are. But anyway, he gets jumped by them, he pulls out the Darksaber, and yet again, we see Din really, really, really struggle using that thing. It was still cool to see. Oh, yeah. And at least this time, when he hit them with the Darksaber... They actually died. They yes. didn't. They didn't. They weren't just used as like a, a punching bag. I absolutely loved one particular scene. It was right at the end when he stabbed one of the Alamites through the chest and then like shoved him off the side of the cliff. Yeah, that was so. I that's thought, such a Mando thing. To I do. thought that was the ultimate of disrespects. And, but going to what you said, Jack, about how you know what you said, they didn't just knock him to the ground, get back up, similar to another TV show that we all know of. Yeah, we but, don't have to um, hint at that one. <laughs> I think this scene, this combat scene was definitely a lot better. Like, you know, he actually kills him and he stabs him and stuff. Still no dismemberment, however. Mm. It didn't really... You couldn't really tell in this scene because of, you know, how lethal the blade was, unlike in Obi-Wan where you can really tell that (laughs) it should go through. Since he didn't really slice at them, he jabbed at them. It Mm. seemed more, you know, realistic. But still, I'm wondering if they're not going to include any of this sort of dismemberment which we saw in the very first movie so i don't know why they couldn't include it in the show but hopefully they do eventually yeah that's good that's a good point to add and then after that mandalorian takes out the alamites and then gets r5 and goes back to the ship and grabs grogu and then they both return back into the cave and as they're looking over the old citadel of the mandalorian city I just want to interject here quickly that my one of my overall negatives of this episode actually was the lighting was quite dark and I know why it was for purposes that make sense in terms of there is no light underneath the caves. However, when it's a TV show, I do want to see more than just the light source from the helmet of Mandalorian and or the Darksaber in, in my opinion because I just want to be able to witness the glory and beauty of it all. But I think it just would... First of all, it takes away from the setting, that being underground. But also, it takes away from the vibe because it's meant to be this dark and gloomy and almost scary territory that that hasn't been explored for years. I agree, but I think there could be found a balance there in terms yeah, of just, overly light compared to overly dark. They could I think. just, in like the editing or something, just, just lit up all the light yeah. so it didn't... It still didn't... You can tell there's not, like, natural light I don't in the want show be, coming in, but it's yeah. still bright enough that you can see what's happening. Just a little bit brighter. That's all I really wanted. But anyway, as they jetpack down and Grogu's little oh. floating pod goes down... Yes, can I make a point on? quickly? Yeah, of course. So, I noticed this, and I'm not sure if it's 100% the same, but... The theme song again. Here no, again. no, no. Oh. The, music, the music that they play when they both drop down into the Citadel, or the, yeah, the, the Civic Center... It had the same music as what Bill Burr's character Mayfeld has at the end of um, his episode in season two. 
I, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it sounded so similar. I don't know if there's... I don't think there's any, like... Connection. Connection <clears throat> or relation for them, but I just... I thought it was interesting to hear both. I, I like that theme, so it was interesting to hear it again. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say about that. That's all right. So, as they float down into the abyss of the, the ruins of the city, we see that they land and they're like, damn, we have to go further. So, they go again. They go right to the bottom. And then there's a lot of these weird, like, dragon eye creature things that are chilling in, like, the pipe systems. Whilst uh, Grogu is looking very scared, as he should be, because he's a baby Poor still. Poor Grogu. Poor Grogu. They both turn on their lights and they continue onwards. And then we see kind of more of a traversal of the underground systems of Mandalore <laughs> with no real plot or, you know, context. So they just <laughs> no. keep going. No. They're, they're just walking scene, walking scene. Then eventually, whoa, we get to... A weird T-shaped visor thing, which I, oh, yeah. which was in the ground, buried within the sands. And as Mandalorian picks it up and and brushes off some of the sand, jump scare, absolute jump. I was so I was like, damn, what the hell was that thing? Some big monster alien creature thing trapping Mandalorian and then straight up injecting him with a needle into his neck. I was like, damn, yeah, what that, are we watching? That was such a w- weird looking monster. <laughs> I'd like to know what it actually was because it's not something we've seen in Star Wars before. I was I was thinking so hard on what this was. I thought maybe we've seen it before, but I could not I could not no, recall anything. I don't think so. So when then we see Grogu in absolute even more terror, like he already wasn't already and he slowly um, approaches where the machine puts Din on kind yeah. of like a weird, like, skewer thing. The way, yeah. the way he peeks around the corner, Grogu, it's just really, really it's funny. so cute. But one of, actually, my f- the funniest scenes I bursted out into into tears is when <laughs> Grogu was trying to sneak to, to Din after yeah. the robot walks away. He does, like, a speed walk. Yeah. And because and, he's puppeteered, it looks so funny on how his ar- little arms just kind of live by his side and he just moved hella fast. It was, That's right, I remember that. It was, it was so it was cute. Funny. And then, we, and then we actually see Grogu use his force ability, trying to lift up the um, skewer thing that he's on. However, it drops and makes a, a loud bang and the robot, weird forearm robot thing with one eye, turns around and uh, Mando uh, kind of says in his last words, um, go find Bo-Katan. And then Grogu does this amazing flip into yeah. his floating mobile and this full <laughs> 360s zooms out of there I love this part because I was so excited to see oh we're going to see Grogu on his own not only that but he's actually going to do something and try to get some help it was just oh man I was just so excited and I thought it was so funny in my notes that scene specifically I wrote down the phrase baby crazy (laughs) baby is crazy indeed so he eventually zooms out goes back up the way they came goes in um, goes to the exit of the cave and boof Jump scare again, uh, but however we did see the trailer, so I kind of knew that was going to yeah. happen. Um, one of the um Alman Alman oh, Al- 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 oh jeez, that's hard to say. The Alamites jumps down, and you're like, oh no, what's Grogu going to do? He just forces him out of the existence, and, and <laughs> he cares about his dad. He yeah, wants he's to go save him. he's just he's bad on baby. a mission, and you don't want to get in his way. Yeah, he's just he's just out of there. So then he gets into. And the... I love this part how it kind of relates to what you were saying before the foreshadowing, but Mando. Even episode one, he was telling him, you know, as a Mandalorian, you've got to learn how to navigate the mm, stars. Mm. And then in episode two, where how he points to this um, planet that Bo-Katan's on and it all comes together. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a puzzle piece. Yeah. It connects. And he hops into the hops into the, into the the ship and one of those weird dragon flying things <laughs> attacks attacks the hood of it and you're like, oh crap, hopefully that doesn't get him. But, but it doesn't. And then R5 pilots himself away. 
Then the scene cuts to Bo-Katan's castle, and we see one of those um, medical... I swear it's like one of those medical droids or something yeah, that like we've seen. Like a surgical droid. Like a surgical droid. Probably turned in, been reprogrammed. Yeah, turned into like just like a waiter almost at this point. And once again, we see a, a depressed Bo-Katan sitting on the throne doing absolutely nothing with her life now. And <laughs> and she's... Yeah. And sits she, there sulking. Sits on the there phone. sulking, checks out the window on the uninvited guests, sees the Mandalorian's N1 ship, then proceeds to almost say that he she's going to take him out yeah, take him out right. the equation jeez that, that, that part actually quite surprised me I was like oh jeez and then it lands ship lands uh, Bo-Katan comes out and is starting to give this like speech saying I told you not to come back here and then Grogu appears and boom tone switched she's on she's on board she asks where's Din and goes to help him in her amazing ship that I really think is the best thing ever I thought yeah, it was great. cool that she went to help him, but like you said, the tone change. Like, why did that happen so quick? She was like, "I'm gonna kill this guy," and then the next second, she's like, "I'm gonna save this guy." I've got a theory. I think probably it's because I know she said uh, to the droid, "Like, track the ship, see where they've been." But she knew he was going to Mandalore, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, "Oh, something oh, happened on Mandalore." So I was like, "Let's go, f- let's go through." And you can see that later on when mm-hmm. she's flying through the storm. And she looks down and she's smiling when she's seeing Mandalore. That's a good point. Because, of it. like, she, she's she can really, go on this she, planet now. She's really curious to see what, what there is on Mandalore. Maybe she's a bit jealous that even Man- the Mandalorian himself was, a, like, was kind of, quote-unquote, brave enough to go explore the planet when Bo-Katan was probably too almost And I suppose if you to think it. about it, like, she wouldn't think anything could really go wrong because if the planet was poisoned, everyone then would, they wouldn't have come back. Everyone but they did come back yeah. and Din wasn't there, so obviously... You know, because she thought everything such as those, what is it, Alamites? Mm. She thought they were extinct. Mm. But, um, well, she knows, she doesn't know that yet, but she knows that something's going on, which, yeah, I hadn't thought about it. It's a good point, Cooper. Then Bo-Katan is recruited by Grogu, and they go to the Mandalorian planet, of course, and you see Bo-Katan's kind of sympathetic eye on the planet and probably reliving in her head the past on how beautiful it used to look and gives that kind of... Uh, vocabulary to uh, Grogu Can about I just him. come in sorry to interrupt but yeah, I, there's some there's a scene I forgot about earlier that I would kind of like to mention mm-hmm. when Grogu is asking R5 to send him to that planet the way he points at the system on the little screen mm. it just you know shows how smart he is how much he's been paying attention yeah I just thought you know that's it's yeah. really cool to see Grogu developing in that way yeah that was yeah, a sorry. that was a foreshadowing that we mentioned earlier that was a foreshadowing but yeah just yeah. the way like he you know he's so smart mm. Then Bogotan lands a ship and tells Grogu that he needs to be the guide to show where Din is in trouble. And Grogu is very, very scared now after seeing everything that he did on the way in and the way out. So he's once again timid again, but he still powers through that and becomes courageous. I like that Bogotan, I mean, it's not really a character shift for her, but she's very um, considerate and uh, she understands that she says to Grogu, I know you're scared. But, you know, you need to show me where he is or I'm not going to be able to help him. So it's nice to see her um, take a more personal approach to this conversation. Or not conversation, interaction with Grogu at least. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, Cooper. So they proceed into the caves. Uh, They do the jetpack down and she gives one of her speeches again about how beautiful the city used to be and how her father ruled it and everything was perfect and until the Empire basically came. And then they go down into the lower levels of the planet again, and she actually says to Grogu before 
everything, says that the Jedi, she knew a lot of Jedi, and they worked together and were actually in peace a lot of the time. With the Mandalorians. With the Mandalorians, of course. And Bo-Katan, due to her being so well-known with the planet and the dangers and stuff that happens down there, she saw a little bit of shadows in in the roof of where they were and shot their Alamites down and took them out quite, quite easy compared to how Din struggle with them a little bit but that just shows how she's been through and lived through so many different wars and different yeah. scenarios where she's had to fight off and then turns to Grogu and actually says did you think your father was the only Mandalorian which I thought was actually a bit weird because Grogu knows that there's other Mandalorians because he's seen them before and so I was like what like does he think he's the only Mandalorian that can fight like I didn't really understand that so I know that line was from the trailer and I I took it as like to be a villain line I don't know if that I obviously didn't come across like that it was more just saying oh you know your dad I can do what he can do you know look maybe almost like a role model type thing mm. don't look to just uh, Din look to me as well because I can I can teach you things as well I still just personally think that line is a bit weird yeah. because I didn't really understand yeah. it particularly either I just think it's like we've already known that Grogu has seen other Mandalorians, including Boba, even in the helmet and stuff. So I just I don't really understand why like that line need to be added. But to be fair, Bo-Katan doesn't know that that he's seen other Mandalorians. No, that's a that's a lie because we seen Grogu in the ship at oh, the yeah, end with Boba, yeah, with, my bad. With, yeah. with 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 Boba. Um, uh, not even Boba because Boba flew away, but Bo-Katan and her two companions yeah, when the when the dark troopers were that's trying true. to get in. That's true. Okay. So I just thought it was a bit redundant. But anyway. We'll continue. So they, she takes him out. They keep continuing processing on, and then she, and then we actually cut to Din with an infusion into his blood, actually, with the droid taking his blood. Which I still think I'm like, what is what is happening here? Like, how, does he kill them internally and then steals their helmets? Because we actually see a part of Mandalorian uh, parts of other Mandalorian armors on the ground in like the rubble. So I, I don't know what he's what this droid's goal is intentionally, actually. Well, I mean. I know taking, if it was blood that he was taking from him, it makes him unconscious, unconscious mm. and dizzy and stuff, easier to take. But you, you have him trapped. Yeah, exactly. Why do you need to do that? His hand, you can't move his hands or his legs. Just take off his No hand. weapons either. And it looked yeah. like this thing was like mainly like a droid sort of monster, but it looked like it had some organic parts to it, almost like General Grievous mm. does, the comparison there. And maybe for some reason this little organic creature that's inside the machine needs to get blood or something i'm not really sure maybe i, f- I feel like it's a heavily inspired old concept designs of general grievous because Possibly. not not only does he have the four arms robot and like more cyborg than than creature he also wields like an electricity stuff which is what the magna droids used to use as grievous's bodyguards too this is very much a sidetrack from what we're talking about oh, gosh but have you guys seen the early concept art for Grievous mm. oh, like yeah. the baby in the chair yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that was that, <laughs> that was, was so funny well even the concept art of Grogu was so ugly too no? yeah, <laughs> and look, yeah he looked scary but, but anyway we, we'll be on that power on yeah power on Bogatan. the best scene in the episode <laughs> Bogatan wields her double yielded guns and, and blows the, the latch and the machine that's taken the infusion and starts to one on one with the uh, droid yeah. she actually struggles a little bit but then she um, picks up he uses her grapple grapple hook, picks up the dark saber, and we finally get to see a person who actually has experience yeah. with how it. How cool is this? Oh, She's she clearly was... well versed in how to use it. 
Well, she's had it for so long. That's what I'm she's saying. Had it for so long. Yeah, it's just so just good compared to, see. to like Din, you know, it's just great to see it, someone who can use so, it so well. It looks so light in her hands yeah. as well. There's one particular scene. I'm pretty sure everyone loved this. She slides underneath the the droid and cuts through the cuts through yeah. the stomach. Oh my god, that was perfection. We haven't got to that bit yet, but we'll we'll continue. So she grabs the dark saber, slices off the head of uh, the droid, and then she thinks everyone thinks that that droid is dead. It crawls. The, the eye crawls the eye crawls away in and then it goes eventually back into the the machine it was and then and then Bo, and then din says his final uh, one of his words and goes and goes behind, behind you. you and then the worm thing worm eye thing is in that big machine contraption where cooper just stated she does her under the thing under the machine slide with the dark saber and quite quickly and effectively takes out the machine and i'm sure it's intentional but like you said how when she wields it it seems so light and when Din wielded it early in the episode it seems so heavy it's just that's what i mean i like think it's, it's good acting it's really, from both of them too yeah. to portray and it that. really shows the you know the strength and the will you need to wield the dark saber i'm sure katie sackoff absolutely loved doing that i mean yeah. i'm sure i'm pretty sure she would have taken the opportunity to do the stunt work on that mm. i just i see even someone like me who's not a big fan of Bo-Katan thought that scene was really cool i just personally this is a bit of a bit of a sidetrack but i personally think i preferred her when she was with death watch and more of the antagonist of the Mandalorian clans, but that's just my opinion. I just struggle to like her as a protagonist. Well, she still is technically. I mean, you listen to what the armorer says about her and says that she abandoned and uh, abandoned Mandalore. I mean, every every Mandalorian creature they say that they say that the, every other clan abandoned them. But I still think the armorer is actually probably one of the most villainous people. She's like so stuck up into her yeah, religious cult-ish. beliefs, cult like, yeah. But anyway, um, then they then they. And then she saves Din from the thing after the weird one eye Grievous is destroyed. And I can't remember what she feeds Din, but it's like pog soup. Pog soup. And it's and even she says how ironic it is that he's so heavily with the Mandalorian culture that he's never even had the the main Mandalorian cuisine kind, if you could say, or drink that all the kids of Mandalore had. So it's it's just little lines like that kind of adds to the level of character development for Bo and for Din. And then we continue on to see that Din is now forever in her debt because um he she saved his life from literally certain death. And he's still he's still persistent in going to the mines even after all this stuff has happened to him. Like Din gets beat around well, this he's episode. Really set on his way, you know, he, he's set that he's going to do it, so he's got his mind onto it. It's very true. And then this is towards the later end of the episode, so we're nearing the end. Um, they Then Bo-Katan's like, fine, I'll, I'll help you on this journey because, you know, you're not going to get there on your own. You need me, kind of thing. So they eventually go through, walk through the old ruins of the Citadel centre, and she, and she kind of gives another backstory to Din this time, and Din goes, oh, it's so good that you got to see this when it was all in this beauty. You must be really sad about how all this has happened. And she gives a bit more of a past um, history again, once about her childhood and how she was raised as like the princess kind of type to the throne. And she had to do all these commodities such as a baptismal in the mines. That's how she knows where to go. And it's more of a children's story that she mentioned earlier. And they eventually get to the mines. Din's kind of like almost in this trance isn't he? When when he's uh, yeah. standing, looking at the water, like he's he about to see Jesus. Walks or, yeah. forwards, you know, oh, doesn't sorry, no, move just... his head. And I like that Bo says, I want to give you the full tour. And then starts reading from the transcript <laughs> yeah. in the wall. Yeah. And he's just not paying attention. He's, 
but they actually talk about the mythosaur in that transcript. Yeah. So once again, after rewatching, it's kind of like, what? More foreshadowing again? Like, what is this? Foreshadow heaven? Well, I don't think anyone actually thought we were going to. Nah, nah, no one thought about it. But after rewatching it, it's kind of like, what? You know, what is all this foreshadowing? Yeah. Anyway, Din takes off, uh, Jetpack takes off some of his, um, protection. Protect, like, like loose armor stuff, apart from his helmet and boots and all that stuff. No weapons or anything. And he starts to immerse himself emerge himself into the water and instantly hops in there and gets taken straight to the bottom almost immediately and and yeah, I wonder that, by what I found though. that part funny how he just sunk straight down and Cooper actually made a note about this before oh, you yeah. mention it yeah. so I think over the episode obviously Bo and Din have grown a bit closer in their understanding of Mandalorian culture and stuff but I loved that not only even when uh, Grogu shows up on Kalevala to to tell Bo to come help him but in this scene as soon as Din's taken down under the water she dives straight in zero hesitation at all and I don't know if that's I'm pretty sure it's because they've built a connection mm. but um, I also think it could be maybe to preserve Mandalorian uh, Mandalorians and to keep their culture but almost also, extinct it could also yeah. be in, if you really want to go into hypotheticals that that's the only chance she has of getting the dark saber by beating him oh, in combat. Yeah, so if she, if he dies, then she doesn't really have a way of, you know, winning it by combat. That's true. That's that's a yeah, that's a definitely a theory. But yeah, that's for a later day, I guess. But I reckon she, I reckon she just did it primarily because she's with Din now, helping yeah, that, Din. I reckon it was just out of you know being friends uh, but and being a Mandalorian warrior. That was warrior. just a hypothetical. Yeah, of course. And so she's jetpacking her way down, which is crazy to see how fast Din got thrown well, to the it ground makes sense because if you think about because he's covered in like all this metal armor. No, but yeah, but he took off half of his armor stuff he took when off, like what his jetpack when, and stuff. Yeah, but... when if you think Bo's wearing all that stuff too, then why would she need a jetpack if she could just well, like stand wants, in there? I guess she wants to get down quicker, but yeah. also so she can lift him out quicker. It seems slower almost at that point. But um then she eventually sees Din on the on the basement level. Uh, the basement level. Of, the of seafloor. The seafloor. That's the one. The seafloor. The seafloor. Yeah. No, it's not really a seafloor. Anyway. <sighs> so yeah. big anyway. But we also get a bigger, We also get an idea on how big the scale of the water is after this next scene. So she, as she's emerging, carrying him with the jetpack, we see like this... Oh, we see this ominous... hear this ominous music almost. And it's like, whoa, what's, what's this thing that's about to appear or what's going to happen? And then you see a tease of like this massive horn. And I was like... I was like, oh damn! I know what I know what this is gonna be. This it can't be happening. It can't be happening. Literal jaw on the floor moment. And then we see the eye. I'm like, oh, all right. Must be just a sta- Must be just like a statue or like some stone <laughs> thing. And then it opened and moved. And I was like, oh lord. I was like, this is a mythosaur. It has to be. And then, and then of of course it is. And Bo's just. You can just see Bo's reaction within the helmet. Just even though you can't see her. Even her the eyes. oxygen bubbles that come out from the thing. She's like. Taken, taken away. She and, just yeah. can't believe it. It's just, Those little details that yeah. make this show so great. It just shows that... And then when, as she emerged on the back onto the land, um, the episode does end while zooming in on Bo's uh, mask. But I do think at that point in time, Bo's probably thinking, damn, maybe all these Mandalorian stories of old tale are actually true. So yeah. it's, it's very interesting to think about. But that was just um, all the scenes broken down very briefly... And our general thoughts about each of them. So, yeah. Oh, look, I had a lot of fun with this episode. I think it was much better. It had more action. It had uh, a much richer story. I think the connection between Bo 
and Din and even Grogu throwing him in there was really evident and I really love to see it and I'm excited to see where it goes I've heard next week um, we're getting a much longer episode mm, which I is really that. good, be good yeah. and we're getting um, progression on this story it's very exciting times ahead of us I just, for us yeah I'm just really wanting to see what happens more of the bigger plot that you know rather than all these small sort of subplots I really want to see what it grows out into yeah well since that Favreau said in an interview that we're not even at the halfway point of the Mandalorian's journey that oh, we've got so much more to go it's going to be interesting it, to see what happens throughout all the trailers and similar to last season they were painting it like this was going to be the main story that this was going to take the whole season yeah. but again like with last season we're yeah. two episodes in and that storyline's done yeah, it literally saying. happened the, last season the, too the, it's the like, living waters settled within the second episode at yeah. least in season two it was like oh okay you've shown all the scenes from the trailer but you kind of knew that there was going to be Jedi with this, you do not know where it's going to go. I feel like it's going to be a lot more on Mandalore than we think, and it's going to be almost be like a rebuilding and recollecting of the clan and trying to unite them as one people yeah. with with the Mythosaur. And I reckon Grogu's going to somehow find a way to talk to it through the Force, and you're going to see Grogu on the head of it. You're going to see Din on the back of it like with panther. the dark saber. He's going to learn it, and oh, it's going to be epic. I, I would just want to know how, like, this is a really trivial, trivial thing, but I want to know how the armorer would be able to confirm that Din went into the living waters, like, you know? Yeah, that's true. Well, I think he had to take his, like, I think he just had to say that, oh, I'm going to prove to you, if I prove to you that I was in there. So he's probably just going to get, like, a sample of the water. Also, I don't know how important this is, but he didn't finish stating the creed or the way of the Mandalore um, creed. You know, he started... um, Yeah. Remember in the first episode, the kid was being introduced to the creed and he was saying all that stuff? That wasn't Din... Yeah, I know yeah, it wasn't I was Din, but he was saying the Din was saying the same parallels. thing in this episode, yeah. but he didn't get to finish it. Yeah, I don't, I, I really don't think that has any correlation, but it could be, could be interesting to see. Well, yeah. it might not be a link between the the two people or events, but it's you know the fact that in both episodes they've had someone you know fail to recite the whole yes, thing. Yes, exactly. Could and be gacky both because... times it happened because they fell into water, which is funny. But yeah. um, does that show a weakness in the the Mandalorian culture that? No, hang on, don't worry, just don't worry. <laughs> Alright, that's about it for this week, so thanks for listening, and next week we'll be talking about episode 3 of The Mandalorian, hopefully will be a lot to talk about next week as well. Thanks for listening, guys. See you guys.